0: Chapter five A of Native Races and the War by Josephine Elizabeth Butler This Librivox recording is in the public domain recording by Bill Mosley Chapter five Visit of Transvaal Delegates to England The Lord Mayor's refusal to receive them at the Mansion House Dr. Dale's letter to Mr Gladstone. Mr. Mackenzie in England, Meetings and Resolutions on Transvaal Matters, Manifesto of Boer Delegates, Speeches of W. E. Forster, Lord Shaftesbury, Sir Fowell Buxton, and others. The London Convention, 1884. In 1883, two years after the retrocession of the Transvaal, the boers encouraged by the hesitating policy of the british government sent a deputation to london of a few of their most astute statesmen to put fresh claims before mr gladstone and lord derby then colonial minister they did not ask the repeal of the stipulations of the convention of eighteen eighty one that was hardly necessary as these stipulations had neither been observed by them nor enforced by our government but what they desired and asked was the complete re-establishment of the republic freed from any condition of british suzerainty this would have given them a free hand in dealing with the natives a power which those who knew them best were the least willing to concede sir r n fowler was at that time lord mayor of london according to the custom when any distinguished foreigners visit our capital of giving them a reception at the mansion house these transvaal delegates were presented for that honor but the door of the mansion house was closed to them and by a quaker lord mayor renowned for his hospitality the explanation of this unusual act is given in the biography of sir r fowler written by j s flynn page 260 the following extract from that biography was sent to the friend the organ of the society of friends in november eighteen ninety nine by dr hodgkin himself a quaker whose name is known in the literary world the scene of sir r fowler's travels in eighteen eighty one was south africa where he went chiefly for the purpose of ascertaining how he could best serve the interests of the native inhabitants he left no stone unturned in his search for information visiting sir hercules robinson the governor of the cape sir theophilus shepstone sir evelyn wood colonel mitchell bishops colinzo and MacRory, the zulu king Cetewayo, the principal statesmen the military the newspaper editors the workers at the diamond fields and many others the result of his inquiries was to confirm his belief of the charges which were made against the transvaal boers of wronging and oppressing the blacks it was the opinion of many philanthropists that the only way to ensure good government in the transvaal justice to the natives the suppression of slavery the security of neighboring tribes was by england's insisting on the boers observance of the treaty which had been made to this effect and the delimitation of the boundary of their territory in order to prevent aggression with this object in view meetings were held in the city petitions presented by members of parliament resolutions moved in the house and when at last it was discovered that mr gladstone's government was unwilling to fulfil its pledges in reference to south africa and that in consequence the native inhabitants would not receive the support they had been led to expect considerable indignation was felt amongst the friends of the aborigines the demand which they made seems to have been moderate. The Transvaal, which, before the war, had been reckoned for its protection a portion of the British dominions, was now made simply a state under British suzerainty, with a debt to England of about a quarter of a million, in lieu of the English outlay during the three years of its annexation, and a covenant for the protection of the 800,000 natives in the state and the zulu Bechuana, and swazi tribes upon its borders the english sympathizers with these natives simply asked that the covenant should be adhered to there was little chance of the debt being paid and that they were willing to and that they were willing to forego but they maintained that honor and humanity demanded that the boers should not be allowed to treat their agreement with us as so much waste paper the prime minister and the secretary of state for the colonies received the transvaal delegates graciously but the doors of the mansion house were shut against them its occupant at that time would neither receive them into his house nor bid them godspeed he had made a careful study of the south african question and he felt no doubt that this deputation represented a body of european settlers who were depriving the natives of their land slaying their men and enslaving their women and children he desired to extend the hospitality of the mansion house to visitors from all countries and to all creeds and political parties but the line must be drawn somewhere and he would draw it at the boers the boldness of his action on this occasion startled some even of his friends he was of course attacked by that portion of the press which supported the government on the other hand he had numerous sympathizers approving letters and telegrams came from many quarters one telegram coming from the loyalists of kimberley with hearty congratulations as for his opponents, he was not in the least moved by anything they said. He held it to be impossible for any respectable person who knew the Boers to support them. This was no doubt strong language, but it was not stronger than that of Moffat and Livingston, not a whit stronger either than that used by W.E. Forster, who had been a member of the Gladstonian government. End quote dr hodgkin prefaced this extract by the following lines addressed to the editor of the friend dear friend in re-perusing a few days ago the life of my late brother-in-law sir r n fowler i came upon the enclosed passage which i think worthy of our consideration at the present time of late years the disputes between our government and the african government have turned so entirely on questions connected with the status of the settlers in and around Johannesburg that we may easily forget the old subject of dispute which existed for a generation before it was known that there were any workable gold fields in south africa and before the word uitlander had been mentioned amongst us i must confess that for my part i had forgotten this incident of sir r n fowler's mayoralty And I think it may interest some of your readers to be reminded of it at the present time. I am thine truly, Thomas Hodgkin, Barmore, Northumberland. The late Dr. Dale of Birmingham was one of those whose minds were painfully exercised on the matter of the abandonment of the natives of the Transvaal to the Boers. An extract from his life was sent in february this year to the spectator with the following preface sir i have been greatly impressed by the justice of much that has been said in the spectator on the fact that the present war is a retribution for our indifference and apathy in eighteen eighty one we failed in our duty then we have taken it up now but at what a cost At reading lately the life of Dr. Dale of Birmingham, I was struck by his remarks, page 438 and 439, on the Convention of Pretoria. These remarks have such a bearing on the present situation that I beg you will allow me to quote them. In relation to South African affairs, he, Dr. Dale, felt silence to be impossible. He had welcomed the policy initiated by the Convention of Pretoria, 1881, conceding independence to the Transvaal, but imposing on the imperial government responsibility for the protection of native races within and beyond the frontiers. In correspondence with members of the House of Commons, and in more than one public utterance, he expressed his satisfaction that the freedom of the Boers did not involve the slavery of the natives at first the outlook was hopeful but the boers soon began to chafe against the restrictions to which they were subjected the rev john mackenzie brought a lamentable record of outrage and cruelty dr dale particularly urged that the government should insist on carrying out the eighteenth article of the convention of pretoria the policy of the government seemed to me both righteous and expedient singularly courageous and singularly christian but that policy included two distinct elements it restored to the boers internal independence it reserved to the british government powers for the protection of native races on the transvaal frontier it is not unreasonable for those who in the face of great obloquy supported the government in recognizing the independence of the transvaal To ask that it should also use its treaty powers and use them effectively for the protection of the natives to this statement the pall mall john morley replied that the suzerainty over the transvaal maintained by us was a shadowy term and that those who demanded that our reserved rights should be enforced were bound to face the question whether they were willing to fight to enforce them was dr dale ready to run the risk of a fresh war in south africa dr dale replied should the british government and british people regard with indifference the outrages of the boers against tribes that we had undertaken to protect if the government of the republic cannot prevent such crimes as are declared to have been committed in the Bechuana country and if we are indifferent to them we shall have the south african tribes in a blaze again before many years are over and for the safety of our colonists we shall be compelled to interfere in the ensuing session the ministerial policy was challenged in both houses of parliament and in the commons Mr. Forster indicted the government for its impotence to hold the Transvaal Republic to its engagements. Dr. Dale wrote a long letter to Mr. Gladstone. If it had been said that power to protect the natives should be taken but not used, it is at least possible that a section of the party might have declined to approve the ministerial policy. The one point to which I venture to direct attention is the contrast as it appears to me between the declaration of ministers in eighty one in relation to the native races generally and the position which has been taken in the present debate, Mr. Gladstone's reply was courteous but not reassuring, End quote. Mr. Mackenzie, British Commissioner for Bettuwana Land came to england in eighteen eighty two in the following year the delegates from the transvaal came to london and in eighteen eighty four the convention was signed which was called the london convention these years included events of great interest mr mackenzie wrote on my way to england i met a friend who had just landed in south africa from england he warned me if you say a good word for South Africa, Mr. Mackenzie, you will get yourself insulted. They will not hear a word on its behalf in England. They are so disgusted with the mess that has been made. They had good reason to be disgusted, but I want all the same to tell them a number of things about the true condition of the country. They will not listen, my friend declared. They will only swear at you. This was not very encouraging but it was not far from the truth as to the public feeling at that time being in the counties of england i was offered an introduction to the editor of a well-known newspaper who was also a pungent writer on social questions under a nom de plume which had got to be so well known as no longer to serve the purpose of the writer's concealment of identity you come from south africa do you said the great man a place where we have had much trouble but mean to have no more trouble however i answered is inseparable from empire whoever governs south africa must meet with some trouble and difficulty although not much when honestly faced i assure you he broke in we are not going to try it again after the one fashion or the other We are out of it, and we mean to remain so. You astonish me, I answered. What about the convention recently signed at Pretoria, 1881? What about the speeches still more recently made in this country in support of it? As to the convention, I know we signed something. People often do when they are getting out of a nasty business. We never meant to keep it, nor shall we i believe i whistled a low whistle just to let off the steam and then replied calmly will you allow me to say that by your own showing you are a bad lot a very bad lot as politicians that may be but it does not alter the fact which is as i state well i am an outsider but i assure you that the english people should they ever know the facts will agree with me in saying that you are a bad lot such doctrines in commerce would ruin us in a day you know that the people are with us they are disgusted and heart sore at the whole business i grant you that such is their frame of mind but I think their attitude will be different when they come to consider the facts and face the responsibilities of our position in South Africa. The only difficulty with me is to communicate the truth to the public mind. I was much impressed by this interview. Did this influential editor represent a large number of English people? Were they, in their own minds, out of South Africa and resolved never to return? I do not know what you think, Mr. Mackenzie, but we are all saying here that Mr. Gladstone made a great mistake in not recalling Sir Bartle Frere at once. In fact, we are of opinion that Frere should have been tried and hanged. The speaker was a fine specimen of an Englishman, tall with a good head, intelligent and able, as well as strong in speech. He was a large manufacturer and a local magnate. His wife was little and gentle and yet quite fearless of her grim-looking lord. She begged that I would always make a deduction when her husband referred to South Africa. He could never keep his temper on that subject. My host abruptly demanded, But don't you think that Frere should have been hanged? my dear you will frighten mr mackenzie with your vehemence and you know you do not mean it a bit mean it isn't it what everybody is saying here at any rate i have given mr mackenzie a text and he must now give me his discourse i then proceeded to sketch out the work which sir Bartle frere had had before him its fatal element of haste with its calamitous failure in no way chargeable to him in short i concluded but for the grave blunders of others you would have canonized sir bartol instead of speaking of him as you do he is the ablest man you have ever sent to south africa as to his personal character i do not know a finer or manlier christian I am quite bewildered, said my host, at the end of a long conversation. I know more of South Africa than I knew before, but we shall not believe you unless you pitch into someone. You have not done that yet, and you have only explained past history, and have had a good word for everybody. Then, sir, I quickly answered, I pitch into you and into your governments, one after another, for not mastering the facts of South African life why do you now refuse to protect your own highway into the interior and at the same time conserve the work of the missionaries whom you have supported for two generations and thus put an end to the freebooting of the boers and of our own people who joined them at present there is a disarmed colored population disarmed by your own laws on account only of their color and there is an armed population armed under your laws because they are white, and you decline to interfere in any way for the protection of the former. You will neither protect the natives nor give them fair play in an open field so that they may protect themselves. Now, my dear, said the little wife, I wonder who deserves to be hanged now. I am sure we are obliged to Mr. Mackenzie for giving us a clear view of things. No, no, you are always too hasty, said my host quite gravely. The thing gets very serious. Do I rightly understand you, Mr. Mackenzie, that practically we Englishmen arm these freebooters from the Transvaal and practically keep the blacks disarmed, and that when the blacks have called on us for protection and have offered themselves and their country to the Queen, we have paid no heed? Is this true? Every word true, I replied then may i ask did you not fight for these people you had surely got a rifle said my host turning right round on me my dear you forget mr mackenzie has been a missionary said his wife you yourself as a director of the london missionary society would have had him cashiered if he had done anything of the kind nonsense you don't see the thing i assured you i could not have endured such meanness and injustice I should have broken such confounded laws. I should have shouldered a rifle, I know, said the indignant man as he paced his room. My dear, you would have got shot, you know, said his wife. Shot, yes, certainly. Why not? said my host, and added gravely, a fellow would know why he was shot. Is it true, Mr. Mackenzie, that those blacks were kind to our people who fled to them from the Transvaal, and that they there protected them? Quite true," I rejoined. "Then, by heaven," said Mister. Blank, raising his voice. "Let us go to supper." Broke in the gentle wife. "You are only wearying, Mister Mackenzie, by your constant wishes to hang someone." I trust my friends will forgive me for recalling this conversation, which vividly pictures the state of people's minds concerning South Africa in 1882. I found that most people were incredulous as to the facts being known at the Colonial Office, and there was a uniform persuasion that Mr. Gladstone was ignorant that such things were going on. I have given these interviews much abridged because they illustrate in a rather humorous way a state of mind which unhappily has long existed and exists to some degree to this day in England, an impatience of responsibility for anything concerning interests lying beyond the shores of our own island, a certain superciliousness, and a habit of expressing and adhering to suddenly formed and violent opinions without sufficient study of the matters in question, such opinions being often influenced by the bias of party politics. Our countrymen are now waking up to a graver and deeper consideration of the tremendous interests at stake in our colonies and dependencies and to a greater readiness to accept responsibilities which once undertaken it is cowardice to reject or even to complain of at the request of the london missionary society mr mackenzie drew up an extended account of the bechuanaland question which had a wide circulation He did not enter into party politics, but merely gave evidence as to matters of fact. There was surprise and indignation expressed wherever the matter was carefully studied and understood. Many resolutions were transmitted to the colonial secretary from public meetings. One which came from a meeting in the town hall of Birmingham was as follows. This meeting earnestly trusts that the British Government will firmly discharge the responsibilities which they have undertaken in protection of the native races on the Transvaal border. End quote. Among the people who took up warmly the cause of the South African natives were Dr. Conder, Mr. Baynes, and Mr. Yates of Leeds, who addressed themselves directly to Mr. Gladstone, Dr. Campbell, and Dr. Duff of Edinburgh the rev arnold thomas and mr chorlton of bristol mr howard of ashton under lynn mr thomas rigby of chester and others a resolution was sent to the colonial office by the secretary of the congregational union of england and wales which had been passed unanimously at a meeting of that body in bristol that the assembly of the congregational union recognizing with devout thankfulness the precious and substantial results of the labors of two generations of congregational christian missionaries in bechuanaland learns with grief and alarm that the lawless incursions of certain boers from the transvaal threaten the utter ruin of peace civilization and christianity in that land this assembly therefore respectfully and most urgently entreats Her Majesty's Government, in accordance with the express provision of the convention by which self-government was granted to the Boers, to take such steps as shall eventually put a stop to a state of things as inconsistent with the pledged word of England as with the progress of the Bechuanaland nations. End quote. Signed at Bristol, October, eighteen eighty two these says mr mackenzie were not words of war but of peace they were not the words of enemies but of friends of the transvaal many of whom had been prominent previously in agitating for the boers getting back their independence they felt that this was the just compliment of that action the boers were to have freedom within the transvaal but not license to turn bejuana land and other neighboring native states into a pandemonium end End of chapter five a recording by bill mosley lano county texas u s a